listening to the sermons from St. Timothy's Church. For more information, please check out our website at stTimothystores.org or come visit us Sunday nights at 615 at the St. Mark's Chapel right here on New Constitution. We're going to spend some time engaging with God's Word, but first we just want to create space for God to speak to each of us individually and as He speaks to all of us corporately. So we're just going to give you a moment to settle your mind, settle your heart, be present to where you are tonight, and see what the Lord highlights for you in tonight's passage. And tonight's passage is long, it's several minutes. We're going to listen to the whole thing and just allow the Lord to speak, allow Him to highlight words, phrases sections, see what he's drawing your attention to tonight, see what conversation he wants to have with you. And as we prepare to hear God's word, we're just going to let go of stress or anxiety or physical pain that we've been carrying so that we can be really present to the moment. So I invite you to just close your eyes, take a deep breath in, breathing in the goodness of God, And a long, slow breath out, just letting go of worry, fear, anxiety, or pain. And another deep breath in, just filling your lungs, letting God fill you from head to toe. And a long, slow breath out, letting go of distraction and worry, anxiety, and stress, and choosing to be here now. So Father, speak to us through your word. We are listening with open hands, with open hearts, and open minds. John 11, verses 1 through 44. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been already been in the tomb for four days. 
Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. After she had said this, She went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, By this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. So this is a long passage of scripture. We listen to about 40 verses together, but I wouldn't say it's a terribly complicated passage of scripture. It's a gripping story, an emotional narrative, but it's pretty clear. Jesus clearly explains what he's going to do and why he's going to do it. However much you might like to, he's not going to rush to Lazarus' side because God will be glorified through Lazarus' resurrection. And by not saving his life, but rather bringing him back from the dead, 
it will be more clear to people that Jesus is the Messiah. And at this time, most but not all Jewish people did believe that God would resurrect the dead on the last day. So Jesus saying that he is the resurrection of the light and the life is another, essentially another way of saying he is God in the flesh. And saying he's the resurrection and the life also foreshadows his own death and resurrection, where he doesn't just talk the talk, but he walks the walk. He doesn't just say, I am the resurrection and the life, but he actually resurrects himself and returns to life after a brutal crucifixion. So Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. I have resurrection power because I'm the son of God, and I will soon show everyone that I have resurrection power by resurrecting myself from the dead. So pretty clear, pretty straightforward. Jesus says what he's going to do. We understand what Jesus is saying. Boom, message done. See you next week. But I know you're all a little disappointed. I wouldn't say this message is primarily a head message. It's pretty easy to follow the narrative. It's pretty easy to understand what Jesus is saying and why he's saying it. So it's not primarily a head message. I'd like to suggest this is really a heart message. This speaks to a very personal question that's relevant to all of us. How, does it, how do we respond when it feels like Jesus isn't answering our most desperate prayer? What do we do when Jesus profoundly disappoints us? In this passage, we see people who love Jesus, who believe he's the Messiah, who support his ministry. Good people, faithful people, people he loves. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, are, they're models of faith. And you can tell from the text, they're personal friends of Jesus. But despite this faith, and despite their personal friendship, and despite a specific and direct request, to Jesus to save the friend whom he loves. Lazarus dies, and Martha and Mary are thrown into deep grief. And the Jews from Jerusalem come to comfort them, but also sort of to say, I told you so. You never should have trusted that Jesus guy. And I think that on more than an intellectual level, this is a deeply personal, deeply relatable passage. It invites us to reflect on our own circumstances, on our own situations, where we're longing for Jesus to respond to our prayers. And to think for a minute about how we respond when he delays, when he doesn't respond in the way we hoped for or in the timeline we hoped for, it forces us to think, what kind of waiters are we? How do we wait? And I think there's an invitation in this text to identify with one of the characters in the narrative. So do we wait like Martha, Lazarus' oldest sister? Do we wait like Mary, Lazarus' other sister? Or do we wait like the crowd who has come from Jerusalem to comfort, encourage, and to watch? So if you remember, Martha is the first, is the first um, person that Jesus encounters in the text. She's the oldest sister. She hears that Jesus is nearby, and she rushes out to see him. She leaves everyone at home who is mourning with her, rushes to Jesus' side, and says to him, and I imagine she says this with a touch of accusation in her voice, Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. And what she says is true. She knows it. Jesus knows it. Jesus could have saved her brother if he wanted to, but he didn't. And then she adds an interesting sort of unexpected follow-up question. Despite the fact that her brother has been dead four days and is already buried in the tomb, you can tell she hasn't entirely given up hope that Jesus can turn the situation around. She adds this hopeful, expectant statement. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So despite every reasonable reason she has to give up hope, despite her frustration, despite her discouragement, despite her pain, despite her disappointment that Jesus delayed, she still believes She still believes that Jesus can do what she's asked. She still believes that Jesus could do a miracle. Martha's response is pretty amazing. That despite her disappointment, she's still determined. She's still determined to see God do a miracle. She's still determined to keep bringing her requests to the feet of Jesus, despite what the circumstances look like. She responds with disappointment, but also with determination. She's disappointed, but she has hope for the future. She still believes that Jesus is a good Savior who can do the things that she believes he can do. So maybe in this passage, you identify with Martha. You face deep disappointment when it feels like Jesus has not answered your prayers. But through that disappointment, you have gone after him. You have kept praying. You have kept seeking. You have kept believing that he can transform the situation. That whatever the circumstances might look like to the human eye, you have kept believing in the power of our supernatural God and you have persisted in asking and asking and asking. Saying like Martha, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus, intervene. Jesus, please. Maybe like Martha, you respond to unanswered prayers with disappointment, but also with determination. Determination to keep seeking Jesus. But that's only one way that we can respond, and that's only one way we see people responding in this text. Disappointment doesn't always leave us with hope for the future. Maybe you resonate more with Mary. Maybe you respond with pain and frustration, with accusation that doesn't lead you to prayer, doesn't lead you to hope for the future. Remember, after Martha talks to Jesus, she goes home and sends Mary to talk to him. And Mary falls at his feet, tears in her eyes, and says like her sister, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And that's it. That's all she says. No request, no hope, no confidence that Jesus would intervene now, especially because he'd failed to do so before. Mary's hopeless. In the midst of her disappointment and her pain, she's given up hope. She is struggling to believe in the midst of her waiting. And it's up to interpretation how accusatory her statement is, or if it's just a statement of her faith about what Jesus could have done. But the weeping tells us Mary is heartbroken, that she's too lost in heartbreak and pain to prayer 
to pray. So maybe like Mary, when you face deep disappointment, when Jesus has seemed to not answer your prayers, you've been heartbroken too. And you've been too disappointed to keep pushing, keep praying, keep believing. You respond to his silence, his delay, with tearful disappointment that just becomes a barrier to your ability to connect with him. You don't go out to meet him when he comes because it's just too painful. The disappointment is too much. So instead of pursuing him, he has to hunt you down. He has to send people to bring you back to him. Before you can break down in tears and share your disappointment, your pain, and probably your anger. Maybe like Mary, you respond to unanswered prayers with deep disappointment and a feeling of hopelessness. And sometimes you need someone to help you get back to the feet of Jesus, to reconnect with the one who has disappointed you. And there's also a third response in this narrative. The response of the Jewish crowds who come from Jerusalem to honor Lazarus and mourn with his family. So they probably know of Lazarus and Martha and Mary's faith and the hope that Jesus would save Lazarus. And they also probably see that Jesus arrived four days too late. So some respond with empathy. Remember they say when Jesus starts to weep, they say, oh, see how he loved him. But many of them respond by doubtfully scoffing. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So a good part of this crowd responds with doubt. How could Jesus really be who he says he is? If he really healed the man born blind just a few chapters ago in John, this man he hardly knew, why didn't he, or maybe why couldn't he, heal his beloved friend Lazarus? So the implication is, this guy can't be who he says he is if he can't heal Lazarus. So the crowd responds with doubt and also with comparison. He healed the blind guy, but not Lazarus? Why did he answer the blind guy's prayers who he didn't even know, and not Lazarus, his dear friend and companion? So maybe like the crowd's, you feel yourself responding to unanswered prayers with doubt and comparison. You find yourself wondering, everyone else is getting what they want, but not me. And asking Jesus, Jesus, why do you answer their prayers, but not mine? Maybe you're not as good as I thought you were. Maybe you're not as faithful as I believed you were. Maybe I don't want to follow you anymore. So this question, this passage really invites us to explore what kind of waiter are we? Do we wait like Martha with doubt, determination? Do we wait like Mary with doubt and hopelessness, struggling to get back to the feet of Jesus in the midst of our disappointment? Or do we wait like the crowd? When things look bad, we begin to doubt and wonder why everyone else is getting their prayers answered but us. And I would say all of these three responses are honest, authentic responses. And there isn't any pressure here to have the right response or identify with the right person. A lot of people assume that praying like Martha 
with disappointment, but determination is always the best way to wait. And I would say sometimes it's the best way to wait, but sometimes the Lord has told you no. He has said lovingly but clearly no. This is not the best situation for you. This is not the right person for you. This is not the best path for you. And if you keep begging and pleading and praying with determination, it's like pounding your head against a closed door. The Lord is not going to open that door, so it would be better to stop insisting and to listen. So instead of just assuming we're waiting right or we're waiting wrong, in whatever situation you're waiting in right now today, we're going to talk to Jesus about it. Ask Jesus, in this situation where I'm longing for you to respond, I feel like I'm waiting this way. I'm waiting with determination. I'm waiting with hopelessness. I'm waiting with doubt and comparison. Jesus, how would you have me wait? I believe that you're in work, at work in the circumstance. How would you have me wait? Do I need to be waiting differently? And really listen, because waiting is part of the Christian life. We're always going to be waiting for something in every season, even if it's just waiting for Jesus to return. And we want to wait well, and sometimes that means waiting a specific way in a specific season. So talk to Jesus about how you're waiting right now. See who you identify with in this passage, and then say, Jesus, this is how I'm waiting. What would you have me do differently? How would you like me to be waiting? Because it's less important who you identify with and more important how Jesus responds and says, wait with hope or it's time, this door is closed. It's time to turn to what I have for you instead of what is closed. So we'll give you a few minutes um, to pray and to reflect and to seek the Lord in this. To say, Jesus, in this text, I identify with this waiter. But what kind of waiter would you have me be? And then I'll close this with prayer. Amen. Amen.